1: Goliath wore a bronze helmet and a
2: bronze coat of mail. He also wore bronze leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was heavy and thick. His armor-bearer walked ahead of him, carrying a shield. 1
0: Samuel chapter 17 verses 5 through 7, New Living Translation. Hello and Happy New Year! I'm Victoria Kay. Welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. We're excited to be with you at the start of this new year, and we pray that this year will be a year of joy and blessings to all our listeners. We pray especially that this year will see us all grow in our knowledge and adoration of our Lord Jesus Christ. Today, on Anchored by Truth, we're going to start the new year with a new series. As just about everyone knows, Christian faith in America has been subjected to more challenges in the last decade than probably in the first two centuries of the country's existence. So, as we open up this new year, we want to revisit a subject that has particular relevance in our day and time, being able to demonstrate that the Christian faith has a firm basis in reason and evidence. R.D. has entitled this series, Archaeology and the Bible. So we have R.D., who is an author and the founder of Crystal Sea Books, in the studio today. R.D., why did you decide we needed to take a special look at the topic of archaeology?
2: Well, I would also like to say Happy New Year, and welcome to everyone who is joining us on Anchored by Truth today. As we begin this new year, I wanted to take several episodes of Anchored by Truth and focus on the subject of archaeology, in part because it seems like, in the last few years especially, the number of times I've heard the Bible criticized as a book of myth and fairy tales has proliferated in contemporary society. The idea that the Bible is a book of myth and fairy tales is quite easily disproved. The Bible is a book that is set in place and time. And while there are a very large variety of literary genres that are part of the Bible, A pretty good chunk of the Bible is the history of the places and times of the people of the Bible. And as such, we can validate the accuracy of the Bible's reporting of its history using other ancient documents that also contain reports about the same places and times. And we can validate the accuracy of the Bible's history because we can use the findings of archaeology to support the fact that what the Bible reported of a particular incident, of a particular person, of a particular country, archaeology quite frequently will confirm and affirm the accuracy, the validity of the Bible's reports.
0: As Anchored by Truth listeners know, at Crystal Sea Books we believe that there are two criteria that you would have to have to be true for any book that claims to be the Word of God. First. The book would have to be consistent with what we know about human and natural history. How could you trust a book that claims to be the product of divine and infinite mind if it contains easily demonstrable errors? Second, the book would have to contain evidence of supernatural inspiration. After all, humans write books all the time, and even human beings can produce books that accurately report history and contain meaningful insights about life and society.
2: Yes. Now, there are other criteria that some people might think are relevant or appropriate when you're considering whether a particular book is the word of an almighty, everlasting, all-knowing God. There are other criteria that people might want to add to the mix, but we would submit that those two criteria would have to be true at a minimum. And we would urge that anyone who is trying to decide whether one book or another is in fact God's word should apply their minds to that question as well as their hearts to the decision. Many people think that faith is somehow believing in something in spite of reason and evidence. But it is not. It is absolutely not. Becoming a Christian and embracing faith in Christ Jesus does not require us to suspend the use of our minds. To the contrary, knowing and loving Jesus means that we should increase our efforts to grow in our knowledge as well as in our trust. You're far more likely to have real sustaining faith by placing your trust in something or someone after you have carefully considered the truth claims that are at issue. So, that includes being able to explain why some truth claims are true, but others are false, and reason and evidence are critical parts of doing just that.
0: So, just to ensure that's clear and anchored by truth, we believe that any book that claims to be the Word of God must be consistent with what we know about human and natural history, and must contain marks of supernatural inspiration. Well, we also believe that there are four lines of evidence that demonstrate that the Bible meets those two criteria and is therefore the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. First, the Bible is historically reliable. Second, the Bible displays a remarkable unity for a book that was composed by over three dozen human authors who wrote over a span of 1,500 years. Third, The Bible gives evidence of supernatural origin, especially through a large body of fulfilled prophecy. And the fourth line of evidence is that the Bible has resulted in an untold number of lives that have been positively changed by its transcendent message. So, what we are saying, and what we are going to be talking about during the series, is that archaeology can be useful to aid helping affirm the historicity of the Bible.
2: Yes. For those of us who are concerned about helping people understand that the Bible is the inspired and errant and infallible Word of God, archaeology can play two important roles. First, as we've sort of mentioned, we started this discussion by talking about the fact that archaeology can help demonstrate that the Bible is not, in fact, filled with myth and fairy tales, that the Bible's history is accurate and reliable archaeology can help us demonstrate that the Bible accounts of certain exploits and certain adventures in the Bible that might seem legendary are in fact entirely historically reasonable and accurate.
0: Why don't you give us a quick example of what you're thinking about?
2: Well, many people might think that the encounter between David and Goliath is some kind of myth or legend.
0: Because the idea of a short teenage boy defeating a heavily armed and armored warrior with only a sling and stone does seem improbable, doesn't it?
2: Well, it might, but it's not. And one of the reasons that we can have confidence about what the Bible says about the encounter between David and Goliath is the large number of details that the Bible gives us about the fight. For instance, the Bible describes in great detail, as you put it, Goliath's arms and armor.
0: And among many archaeologic finds that have confirmed the accuracy of the Bible's description of Goliath's equipment is a depiction of Philistine warriors in a temple in Egypt, right?
2: Right. Now, let's remind everyone that while the Bible, in its reports about Israel and Philistia, the Bible is mostly concerned about the activities of the Philistines in their interactions with ancient Israel— the Philistines came into contact with all of the civilizations of the ancient Mideast, including Egypt. The Egyptians fought the Philistines on many occasions. And the Egyptians called the Philistines the, quote, Sea Peoples, because the Philistines had come to Palestine from Mycenae, which was located in modern-day Greece. So, of course, that means for the Philistines to get from Mycenae, from modern-day Greece, over to the coast of Palestine, or modern-day Israel, That means they would have arrived on the coast of Palestine by way of ships crossing the sea, hence the term Sea Peoples.
0: So the Egyptians were very familiar with Philistine warriors like Goliath.
2: Yes. Now, according to an article in the Biblical Archaeology Society's website, one of the most vivid descriptions of the Philistine warriors is in a, quote, mortuary temple at Medinet Habu in Thebes. Now, the battle scenes described on the walls of this temple are our most precious and most graphic representation of the sea people's dress, weaponry, chariotry, naval equipment, and battle tactics. The Philistine infantry is shown fighting in small phalanges of four men each. Three men are each armed with a long, straight sword and a pair of spears, the fourth with only a sword. And that ends the quote from the article on the Biblical Archaeology Society website. So, notice from that description that the Egyptian drawings show the Philistine army being armed with a pair of spears, exactly like Goliath is described to have been. The Bible is a little bit more precise, and it notes that the second spear is a javelin, which was actually used for throwing. Now, the spear that Goliath was carrying in his hands was actually more like a long club. It was used for smashing and bashing.
0: Smashing and bashing? Really?
2: Really. Every infantryman knows that one of the keys to victory over opposing infantry is to break through the enemy lines. And while the David encounter is notwithstanding, that's essentially what Goliath's job was in the Philistine army. He was supposed to create the holes in the enemy's front lines that soldiers behind him could exploit. And he did that using that huge spear that he had. Homer, in his tales, refer to such soldiers as Goliath as the, quote, first men.
0: That explains why the Bible tells us that Goliath's spearhead weighed 15 pounds. A 15-pound piece of iron on the end of a heavy, thick spear, the Bible says it was as thick as a weaver's beam, is going to be good for, as you said, smashing and bashing. And it's also important to note that in the biblical description of Goliath's armor, His helmet and coat of mail are said to be made of bronze, as was his javelin. The battle between David and Goliath took place just as the Iron Age was beginning. At that time, there would still have been a lot of bronze weapons and armor in use. Bronze had been in common use since about 2500 BC. Iron would later become far more common, and the Philistines were very proficient at shaping and forming iron But this battle occurred before the transition was complete. And even at that time, bronze was easier to form into weapons. Bronze has a much lower melting point than iron, about a 1,000 degrees Celsius. Iron's melting point is closer to 1,600 degrees Celsius. So, on first blush, the Bible's description of the fight between David and Goliath might seem to be legendary, but the details that the Bible provides and the archaeological discoveries Show us that it is not. So, what is the second role that archaeology plays for those who are interested in the Bible?
2: Archaeology can help shed new light on the history that the Bible contains, and it can also help us understand the Bible text as well. And we'll get more into this as we move through this series, but just one quick example of how archaeological finds can improve our understanding of the Bible's texts. And this example was some clay tablets that are referred to as the Ugaritic text. And the Ugaritic text came from an archaeological excavation in Syria. And the tablets that they discovered there dated from long before Jesus was born. And these Ugaritic texts contain cuneiform writing in a variety of languages. Cuneiform writing was just a form of writing that was common in the ancient Mideast, and it used wedge-shaped characters that were typically impressed into soft clay, and sometimes the clay was baked to more permanently preserve the text. Now, the Ugaritic texts were helpful to Bible scholars because some of the tablets were written in an alphabetic script that recorded a Northwest Semitic language that overlapped with Biblical Hebrew. And this Eucharitic language shared a number of words with Biblical Hebrew, so this helped scholars better understand some of the words that are contained in the text of the Bible, especially words that occur only once in the Bible.
0: So, one important role that archaeology plays is to help affirm the reliability of the Bible's historical reports. And a second important role that archaeology plays is actually to amplify our understanding of the Bible's texts as well as increase our understanding of the times, cultures, and places recorded in the Bible. This second role is true for those of us who accept the Bible as the inspired Word of God as it is for those who don't regard the Bible as being inspired. The first role of archaeology can be especially important in the Christian work of apologetics, which is a defense of the Christian faith. But in this first role, you say that it is important for Christians to not say things like, archaeology proves the truth of the Bible. Why is that?
2: It's not proper to say that archaeology proves the Bible is true, because by doing so, you run the risk of both overclaiming and underclaiming at the same time.
0: Okay. Overclaiming and underclaiming at the same time would seem to be a bit of a mystery. Why is saying that archaeology proves the Bible is true an overclaim?
2: Well, archaeology, like any human endeavor, has limits in the amount of certainty that it can provide archaeologists are always looking in the present at artifacts from the past, and they do their best to derive information from those artifacts, but the archaeologists were never present at the time the artifacts were created. So their interpretation is exactly that. It's an interpretation of the artifacts and what they think the artifact is telling them, but their interpretation is not a history based on firsthand observation. And archaeologists will differ in their interpretations all the time, and it is not at all uncommon in archaeology for subsequent discoveries to necessitate revising previous opinions about what an archaeological artifact meant. Now, none of this is to suggest that archaeology isn't valuable or that it can't be conducted with rigor. It certainly can. But archaeology, while it can and does provide important support for the Bible, Archaeology cannot, quote, prove that the Bible is true.
0: That makes sense. The Merriam-Webster Online Dictionary defines archaeology as, quote, the scientific study of material remains, such as tools, pottery, jewelry, stone walls, and monuments, of past human life and activities, unquote. It's important to note in that definition that archaeology is concerned with, quote, past human life and activities, unquote. So, while we can do much to try and determine what actually happened in the past, we will always fall short of absolute certainty. Why is saying that archaeology proves the Bible is true an underclaim?
2: Well, simply put, the Bible is true because it is God's Word. And it would be true regardless of whether any human being ever were to accept it as being true or not. The Bible is true because God wrote it. Now, I'm well aware that a critic would accuse me of circular reasoning in me saying this. The Bible is God's word, and it is true because God is an all-knowing, all-powerful being. But the Bible, of course, tells us that God is all-knowing and all-powerful. And so that sounds very much like circular reasoning, but that's not what I'm saying. Anything that is true, that is, that it corresponds to reality, is true regardless of whether people accept or agree with the truth. You know, the man who decides that he doesn't like having cancer, and so he rejects the doctor's report, is still going to have cancer regardless of whether he liked the report. Well, the Bible is or is not the inspired, revealed Word of God, regardless of whether we accept it as such. If the Bible is the inspired Word of God, our rejection of that doesn't change anything. By the same token, if the Bible was not the inspired Word of God, our acceptance of that, our desire for that to be true, wouldn't change that either. Well, when we say that archaeology proves the Bible, what we are doing is, in effect, turning the truth of the Bible over to archaeological judgment. Now, again, I'm not saying that archaeology cannot be a valid and important venue for obtaining evidence that helps us understand that the Bible is true But we don't need archaeology to establish the Bible's truth.
0: I think I see the point you're making. Some theologians will refer to the Bible as being self-authenticating. The Bible's truth will pierce through all the fog and distractions of the world, and the inward witness of the Holy Spirit will confirm its truth to us. Sometimes people will say, quote, Most of the time we judge books, but the Bible is a book that judges us, unquote. You're not disagreeing with this position, are you?
2: I'm not disagreeing with that position, but I'm trying to look at the question from all angles. One of the reasons I believe that God will be able to hold all people accountable when we encounter Him in judgment is because God has given us sufficient witness of Himself through His creation and through His superintendence of history. And the Bible tells us this explicitly in Psalm 19, verses 1-4, through And in the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 20, God has given all humanity ample witness of its existence and attributes. I believe that that same thing is true about the Bible. We can use reason and evidence to evaluate whether the Bible can legitimately be considered to be the Word of God. And we laid out our criteria and our lines of evidence for doing so at the start of today's episode. Well, in considering those lines of evidence, especially whether the Bible contains reliable history, archaeology can be an important source of information and support. But this role of archaeology is ministerial, not magisterial. If we made our opinion about whether the Bible is true based on the findings of archaeology, that would make archaeology magisterial, not ministerial.
0: What you're saying is that the Bible is true and was true before archaeology ever entered the scientific dialogue. Like all science, when properly used and properly understood, archaeology sheds important light on questions of truth. And there are literally thousands, or maybe tens of thousands, of archaeologic findings that confirm the accuracy of the Bible text and the history recorded in the Bible. So saying archaeology, quote, proves the Bible is true, unquote, is an underclaim because it suggests that the Bible's truth was uncertain until archaeology came along.
2: Right. As we've said, archaeology can play two very important roles in our study of the Bible, and that's why we're doing this series. Archaeology can help skeptics see that the Bible is not, in fact, a book of myth and fairy tale. It is a book firmly set in place and time, and its reports of those places and times are trustworthy. Archaeology can also help us expand our understanding of the places and times of the Bible, and of the people and the societies and the cultures that the Bible describes. And this can help us understand the Bible's messages more clearly.
0: Regardless of how old anyone living is, The reality is that the Bible's text was completed 2,000 years before they were born. And the Bible was written in and to cultures and countries that are much different from those with which we are familiar. Archaeological findings help us understand the people that the Bible was written to and about, so we can get closer to standing in their shoes, seeing the sights they saw, and thereby know exactly what the Bible writers meant to communicate.
2: Yes. So before we close for today, let's just briefly revisit our David and Goliath example just to see how archaeology, the facts we've already mentioned, but just a couple more, increases our confidence that this incident is historically accurate. And one simple fact that's been confirmed by archaeology is that the Bible tells us that Goliath's home city was Gath. Well, the fact that Gath was a real city, it was one of the five major cities of the Philistines, has been confirmed by Egyptian inscriptions. And Gath is actually thought to be located at Tel Safit, which is located inside Tel Safit National Park in modern-day Israel, and they've done extensive excavations there. So, this is a finding of archaeology that is entirely consistent with the Bible. Now, another detail of the story in the Bible that's been confirmed is the Bible's description of Goliath's armor. The Bible tells us that Goliath wore a coat of scale armor, basically a coat of armor that's constructed of a lot of little discs that are all connected. Well, the fact that Philistine warriors wore such armor coats has been confirmed by an archaeological find. In 2006, bronze scale armor was discovered in a Mycenaean palace on the island of Salamis. Remember that the Philistines originated in Mycenaea.
0: This finding was especially relevant because some scholars who were critical of the Bible's account of the fight between David and Goliath alleged that the story was just a fictional account probably made around the 6th or 7th century B.C. Their assertion was that the story was concocted to make the Hebrews have a greater sense of national pride. The Hebrew pride supposedly needed a boost at that time because the Hebrews were either still captives in Babylon or had only recently returned to Israel. Part of the reason critics made that assertion was because the shirt of scale armor the Bible reports that Goliath wore was not thought to be typical of Mycenaean soldiers. Mycenaean soldiers were often armored by wide bronze bands connected by hinges. It was thought that scale armor had gone out of use before the Mycenaean heyday around 1400 BCE. So, the critics alleged that the Bible's description of Goliath's armor was inaccurate. But archaeologists finding a coat of scale armor in a Mycenaean palace shows that their soldiers did use scale armor at least part of the time.
2: Yep. The Bible reported that Goliath wore a type of armored coat that had not been commonly associated with the Philistines. This was a detail that the Bible writer knew that would have been unknown to a writer who purportedly was writing three or four hundred years later. So, this is another discovery from archaeology that supports the Bible's account of David and Goliath. Let's just mention a couple more items just to complete the discussion. We now have prolific evidence that the kind of, quote, contest between champions was common in combat between Bronze Age armies. You know, single combat between two designated warriors to determine the outcome of a battle, that spared a lot of casualties. And the armies of the Bronze Age were willing to do that because wars at that time were actually thought to be being fought between the gods of the respected armies. The armies believed that each side's god would fight on their behalf to determine the outcome of the battle that would have resulted anyway, whether it was the whole army or just a couple of soldiers. And archaeologists have unearthed texts from that time that provide numerous examples about this belief about combat between champions.
0: And the Bible even records this detail in its account. In 1 Samuel, chapter 17, verse 43, the Bible says, quote, And the Philistine cursed David by his gods, unquote. Then in verses 45 and 46, the Bible tells us that David said to the Philistine, quote, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down,
2: Yep. So, the big idea that we are introducing today is that archaeological finds can be a valuable source of support for the accuracy of the history that the Bible reports.
0: Well, it sounds like we're in for quite a thought-provoking journey. Hopefully, listeners will let others know about the series. It really can be a valuable resource to the skeptic and the believer alike. This sounds like a great time to pray. Today, let's listen to a prayer of praise of adoration for the Creator God who set the cosmos into motion and established a home on earth for His people as He prepares them for an eternity with Him in heaven. A prayer of praise.
1: For the Creator, mighty and everlasting Father, you are a kind and merciful God. You have given us eyes to see, fingers to touch, ears to hear, and minds to understand. You bring us into the full and certain knowledge of of your transcendent, creative power. When men gazed at the stars and sky, they could perceive the depth, but not measure the distance. Through your grace, man now has the ability to understand that your cosmos is more supremely complex and vast than ever could have been known before. What mortal mind can fathom this magnificence? Praise be to you, Father of the galaxy, and praise to your Son who created at your right hand. It is because of his descent that we will one day be lifted up so we pray and give thanks in His name
0: Amen. Amen Is the Bible important in your life? Supporting Anchored by Truth with a contribution is an easy way to put your faith into action The opportunity to help is available at CrystalSeaBooks.com. How wonderful would it be for Jesus to commend us because we made His Word a priority in our lives and giving. We are grateful for your support and partnership. We hope you'll be with us next time, and we hope you'll take some time to encourage friends to tune in also or to listen to the podcast version of this show. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalseabooks.com where
2: We're not perfect, but our boss is. And for those of you who need that website one more time, that's crystalcbooks.com. Crystal, C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-C-S-E-A, and books, B-O-O-K-S dot com. Thank you for your support.